Hello, and thank you for listening to Just Don't Care Yourself Today podcast. And today we have Sadie Turner, amazing writer, great friend. Thank you for listening to the podcast. All right, Sadie. Bali. <laughs> I always ask this question. So where were you born? I was born in a seaside town called Brighton in the United Kingdom. It's on the south of England, just by the sea, about an hour from London. So they have nice beaches in England? They do have beaches. I mean, but the one that I grew up with was is a pebble beach. There's no, there's no sand. It's just pebbles. So it, it was always tricky trying to get into the sea because it just hurt your feet a lot, you know. <laughs> but yeah, some, some beaches in Cornwall have sand and they're stunning, absolutely beautiful beaches. Not as nice as Los Angeles, but they are, you know, they do have live beaches. So what religion did you grow up with? I grew up with zero religion, nothing. It was really strange, actually, because my mum and dad would always say, God bless you. But they, we never had a specific religion. We didn't go to church. I couldn't say, oh, it's this religion. Even though I always knew there was something going on out there and in there. We, as a family, we there was no religion. Did you have friends that were of other religions? Or did you ever say to your parents like? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I, my dad's dad mm-hmm. um, was. He was found as a baby outside the Salvation Army, left on a step. So we don't know anything about his history. <sighs> but he basically gave his whole life in service to the Salvation Army. So when my dad grew up, he had that kind of, you know, pushed on him, if you like. So I think that he kind of, um, at a young age, turned away from anything that was kind of in-your-face religion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like our family believed in something else, but it wasn't anything that was ever discussed. If, If anyone asked, they would just say Church of England, but... It didn't really mean, it never meant anything to me growing up. And I remember I had a friend took me to a Christian church once and that everyone was singing. And I remember feeling this kind of energy, like coming up from the depth of my being, this kind of joy-filled energy in this church. And I remember feeling embarrassed of it embarrassed of this feeling of joy because I I wanted to you know I was used to being I think I was about eight or nine at the time and wanting to be the cool kid and I was embarrassed of this joyful energy so I remember shoving it back down and that was one of my only kind of vivid memories of going to a church that that was probably the only friend that I had yeah yeah do you enjoy school I was not a big school person I literally it's weird because you ask about the religion question. Now, yeah. I know what from age four, I used to sense a presence in my room when I was um, when I used to go to sleep at night. And I didn't know what this presence was, but I just knew there was something in the room. And I used to say to my mum and dad, at age four, there's something in the room. And they used to say, oh, there's nothing there, go to sleep. So in my young four-year-old mind, Whatever was in the room, my guardians, my mum and dad, didn't weren't able, you know, even if they had just said, oh, it's God there, go to sleep, you know, or something like that. If they'd have said anything, I think it would have put my mind at ease, but they said that there was nothing there. And I knew 
that there was something there. So then I went into a kind of state of terror and fear because I thought, well, what is this thing? I, I, I wouldn't go to sleep at night time. So when I did start school, my school life was tremendously stressful because I'd been up most of the night in fear of whatever this thing was. And then I had to go to school where I was expected to focus and learn and do stuff. I hadn't had a good night's sleep the night before. And then uh, to top it off, because of this extreme fear that I had at this young age and no way of uh, soothing it or running from it, I started to uh, pull my hair out and eat it. So I did this for, you know, most of my school years. So it just, for me, school was just a time of trying to fit in, trying to hide the bald patches I had in my head where I was pulling my hair out and just just trying to get on in this crazy world I found myself in. But it, I don't remember it as um, a happy time, unfortunately. When you go to school in London, it's not like the American school system, is it? Do they have the same grades? I don't know how that works. I'm not sure how the American school system works. It's not like first grade or anything like that. You have play school and then you have little school <laughs> and then you have and then you have secondary school and um, and then if you're lucky you get to go to college and then if you were really lucky you got to go to a university so when I went to secondary school which is from age nine till about 16 I um you know it was never mentioned to me or my sister like that college was really an option yeah it is a lot different because I think in America people are guided more to go into further education how far did you go in school did you where did you say okay I'm, I'm done with this I'm out of here well I mean um I have a sister who's 13 months younger than me Susie and she got in a lot more trouble than I did but you've got to remember an age four right up until I kind of left school I was this kid that was just like constantly in this weird state of fear I'd eaten my hair for most of my school life so when I was age 15 and a half which so I was still at school my mum thought I was pregnant because I was being sick in the morning and I wasn't eating dinner she said, I think you're pregnant. And I said, that's impossible, <laughs> mum, you know. Yeah. I haven't even had a boyfriend. She was So I, I went to the doctors. At first, they thought I had this big tumour in my stomach. And it turned out I had a three and a half pound hairball that had built up over the years from me pulling my hair out and eating it. If I hadn't have had that cut out of my stomach when I did, they say I would have suffocated from the inside out within like six months. So I had that cut out when I was 15 and a half, which was kind of the end of my school years. It was just a case of, I'm out of here. <laughs> and my mum and dad were really proud of me because I actually got a job at um, this bank called the TSB, which is a big bank in England. And I got this job without any degree or college education. So they were really proud that I got this job. But then I went on holiday to Ibiza, to the Balearic Islands in Spain. I never came back. I ended up working in Ibiza for the summer because I saw that all these people were just living this, you know, life in this sunshine party island. And I was like, life is too short to be in a bank. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go and work on this island as someone that was toying with the idea of that there's something out there spiritual wise, which I didn't really understand what it was. Ibiza for me was the next right step in the part of my spiritual journey. The bank wasn't, you know. <laughs>
Yeah, and Ibiza was a happy place, and you know, uh, yeah, you, you weren't at the bank, you weren't at school, you're at this beautiful place where it's like paradise, and you met wonderful people, and you felt free. It's like, ah, oh. yeah, because to me that was like the uh, university of life. Yeah, you know, like I, I learned a lot more from spending for myself and having to get a job over there than what I would if I would have gone to a college or university. I get to see how the human condition works, how other people work, and then I have to navigate that at that young age. So I think that for me, that was the best education that I could have. Were your parents, they sound like they're very supportive parents. Yeah, they were, my, my parents, really easygoing. You know, they had me and my sister when they were very young, 23. And um, they were just, uh, you know, they wanted they wanted us to be happy and they liked to have parties and they had lots of friends. And so they, they were very lenient with me and my sister, you know. Yeah. So we yeah. were we were very lucky in that regard. What song did you last sing to yourself? A good question. I mean, I was singing tonight in the radio uh-huh. uh, with, with, a, with the radio on with a, with a Marvin Gaye song. That would have been the last time I sang to myself. It was a song, funny enough, because my mum passed away four years ago. So I have a video, a home video that I did of my mum in Ibiza probably about 20 years ago. What's weird is the video has this particular song playing on it. So when I got in the car tonight and turned the radio on, this Marvin Gaye song was playing. So I can't remember the name of it, but I started singing along to it and remembering that video. You're getting that tap on the shoulder from your mother and saying, I love you. And these things, if you're aware, these are little hugs you're getting. I, I thought the same thing. I really felt that. Yeah. I felt it was just a saying, I'm here. I'm, you know, everything's, everything's okay. Even though it was four years ago, I still miss her more now than I ever did. What books or people were a big influence in your life? Earlier today, I was reading some old journal entries of where I wrote in 2001, mm-hmm. which is like basically 20 years ago. And I was just so mind blown with the Sadie back then and seeing the Sadie now and the growth that I've gone through as a being. So the book that had the most impact in my life was a book that I found in Thailand in this old bookshop in 2001. And it's called People of the Lie by Scott Peck, who wrote The Road Less Travelled. It's such a powerful book. And this is a book that when I started reading it, I always thought I was such a good person. And this book talks about how people lie and they don't even realize that they're lying. And he says that 99% of people do that. And I started to read it. And alongside me doing this journal writing, I started to have a really big shift in perspective because I started to see that sometimes I would just say things without thinking, is that true or not? Do I really know that that's true? And then I started to see little threads of where I was lying to myself and others without even realizing it. So that book had a real big impact on uh, my journey into the self and the true self and me meeting my soul. You know, because I think the ego and the true self are so far apart. And and what is in the middle is 
is lies to the self because we are programmed as humans to believe so many lies, you know, and so then sometimes we repeat those lies or just tell those lies unconsciously without even thinking. So that book for me was a real, it was just a real wake up call and an unexpected book to find at that point in my journey. You know how you'll be in a conversation and your mind, you know, you're trying to stay focused and people will say something and you go, yeah, and you'll say, yeah. And then later you're like, what did I say yeah to? And later you'll, <laughs> because you're, you're, you're in a group and you, you know, you want to keep things flowing. You don't want to start. Why do I agree with that? No, I, I don't. I don't like that. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly how I live most of my life. Like I didn't even really know what my true thoughts and beliefs were because I was just a people pleaser for a lot of my life. And I just wanted an easy life and I didn't have I hadn't activated my courage yet. So I never had the courage to speak out for what I really believed in because I'd rather just make peace with the people I was around because I wanted to be validated or I wanted to be liked. You know, that book really helped me to start to think about what my truth was, you know, what I really felt, not what was just programmed into me from the school or parents or society. Like what does Sadie really believe as true? And so that book really helped put me on that path of the truth of my reality, moment to moment. Sadie, what is your spiritual daily practice? So my spiritual daily practice, I'd say for the last 10, 11 years, has been waking up, meditating for 20 minutes, and then kind of handing my day over to um, a power that's greater than me, which is I think of it as an intelligence that's infinite so that my experience has been when Sadie and her own will tries to run her life, things just kind of, they, they're all right, but a lot of the time, sometimes there's chaos, things don't really flow that great. Through the years and through the openings I've had and through the spiritual experiences I've had, when I hand my day over to something greater than me, I do find myself being guided by something higher. And then life shows to me and gives to me a lot more gifts than what I could choose myself. So I start the day off with the 20 minute um, meditation, then handing my day over through prayer to a power greater than myself. And then I've got this great act that's called uh, Day One, which is like a journal app that you can add pictures to, which I got, I think, at the beginning part of this year. So then when I go to bed at night, I'm on this journal app. I'm able to write down what my day was like, things that happened in the day, and then I can add pictures to it. And I feel that that's a really nice way of just integrating the day, any thoughts or feelings I had with any experiences that might have happened or any feelings I might have had if someone did something or I did something. So it's a great way to keep track of, have I acted in the right way that day? Those are the main things. One thing I've been doing is I don't watch the news before I go to bed and I walk the dogs and everything, but I try to shut out all that stuff and I, I don't want to bring that to bed with me. Yeah, and overwhelmed by it because there's so much information out there, isn't there? I, I did the detox off the news a few months ago and I did notice how much clearer my head feel, felt. So there's a part of me that sometimes I can go off into like morbid fascination. Some of the stories I read and I'm like, just like, I'm blown away. That I think the news reminds me of that human condition, but I also realise it does program negativity into me. So I try and stay 
clear of it. I find it difficult, especially now we're in this pandemic. I think it's good to know what's happening, but then go, okay. Yeah, because my sister, she doesn't, she totally switches off and she doesn't watch any news. And then if I say to her, oh, this is happening, she goes, well, I have no idea oh, wow. because I don't watch any news. But then on some stuff, I said, you've got to have some level of what's going on in the world. Otherwise, yeah. So I guess it's finding that balance and finding a good news channel that giving you at least the true news, <laughs> if there is such a thing. I'm trying to find that channel. If you find that channel, please I know, text, right? text me. <laughs> I don't actually. I mean, I mean, I don't even think there is a true news channel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should work on, Farley. Next, the true news channel. I think nowadays there will be more listeners to if there was a good true news channel yeah i think that there would be a lot more people open to it but i also think that there are still so many people with unprocessed trauma in them and unprocessed pain so the the news feeds that pain body it's almost as if like a lot of people feed off of that news you know even though it's not true and it's negative that's another great book that I love which is uh, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth where he talks about news and the pain body and how that feeds the pain body and that there's a charge of energy from it that would be my second most book that has impacted my life so when did you last cry I had a little cry today because Ah. I was reading this journal from 20 years ago I was reading it and I had a little cry for the Sadie then yeah. in that in her quest for truth and wanting to know what this other thing was that she sensed in the room when she was a kid. And so I cried for that Sadie then. And then obviously that was twenty years ago and now I'm like, oh my God, look at the Sadie now having uncovered so much of I did find something on my quest. Did find that there is in fact an infinite energy that you can be open to if you clear yourself of the pain from the past animals cry why 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 do people why can't we cry i had this great therapist that said that crying it's like opening up yourself it's like breaking the dam and letting yourself feel yeah and and not to dam up your feelings if you got to cry then just cry it's such a beautiful thing to be able to do and i feel like as human beings we're programmed to be ashamed of crying not so much now but you know back when I was a kid especially for men as well so and now when I feel any little bit of a tear come I really try and welcome it because it you know usually I'm programmed to run from most of the feelings so I I really welcome tears when they when they come let's talk about your amazing book anomalies Kind of, and it's interesting, all the questions that you've asked me up to this point, with all my journal writing over these 20 years, having gone through so many different experiences and reliving certain types of trauma, having experiences with hearing and seeing voices and sensing presences, which... I was been so afraid of my whole lifetime. I ended up just integrating and talking to it all. 
And that's how the idea for Anomalies came about. I decided to do it in a young adult fiction-based novel, so which is set in the future, which is basically the premise is that the human race has been programmed by trauma generations ago. And so these humans in the future feel like they're living in this perfect dystopian world, but really they're living on top of a load of trauma that they just... they They've been programmed to forget through generations and they've, they've run from it. And so there's this guy that's kind of running the world and his name's Sobek and everyone thinks that he's running this perfect way of life. And then there's young girl Tiva that starts to remember some of the trauma and realises what's happened to the human race. And then she goes on the quest to um, expose Sobek for who he is and also to try and wake up everyone that's been programmed that doesn't realize they've been programmed. Doesn't that sound like what's happening today? Exactly. Like when I'm listening to you right now, I'm like, you're like, oh, this is the future, everybody. Please read this book. I do think that that's happened on some level to the human race. But of course, there's a fine line between people just thinking you're an absolute lunatic and a conspiracy theorist. And then you do meet people that go, yeah, this could be true, but I definitely feel like it's something that's happened to the human race. And you get two types of people, those that have done work on themselves to heal the pain of the past, and some of that pain is generational, and those people that don't get to look within or don't want to look within and end up running lifetime after lifetime, and they run from themselves by having kids, getting a mortgage, getting a lease on a car, taking drugs, spending money, drinking alcohol, eating sugar, all those things can sometimes just enable that person to never have to look within at the pain they might be running from. And then that's how you just pass that pain down to your kids. So I do think it's something that has happened. But the book got published, I think it was four years ago now. I had the kind of a love-hate relationship with it. Number one, I am so proud that you wrote this book number two people loved it number three I, I got to see you at Barnes and Noble and do a reading and I was so proud of you because I know how much work it takes to to write a book and to get it published and you went through all of those you know it's like jumping through hoops it's amazing because there's so many people say I'm gonna write a book or I'm gonna do this or whatever you know you're rooting for them but to go through that whole process it's a beautiful thing thank you Farley that means so much and I, I remember that you were there and it just, I feel like I had a lot of trouble receiving the good things that came from it because there's still that part of myself that doesn't want to put myself out there and wants to hide. It was great. The Barnes and Nobles evening, so many people showed up. It was a real success. And thank you for saying that. That means a lot. Are you going to write another book? Have you thought about that? Well, as anomalies came out, my mum was terminally ill with ovarian cancer. So I ended up going to Portugal to be with her for the last, I'd say, six to eight months of her life. And then I was with her when she passed away. And then uh, a friend of mine that had been a good friend for 10 years offered me a job working with him. He let me work remotely so that I could be with my mum in the last moments of her life. So, and that's the job that I've got today, which hasn't given me much time to write 
which is obviously something I want to do. But um, this, I think the job helped with me moving through a lot of the grief from losing my mum and kept me busy. So it's only just now that I've started to write again, you know, especially with the pandemic because I've had a bit more time to sit down and write. So hopefully, um, you know, we have the books two and three ready to go. So we're just waiting to see if they get picked up. Isn't that beautiful that, you know, your mom passing away and then you have this person who comes and gives you a job and cares about you. I know. I mean, that's how loved you are. This is all the good things you do. This is what happens. This is the love that people have for you. I mean, I've got some great people in my life and my friend, Paul Kemsley, who gave me the job, you know, he, I said to him all the reasons why I couldn't take the job and he just kept saying, it's okay, you can do this, you can do this. And he's, you know, really proved himself to be such a loyal and beautiful friend. You know, I feel very lucky to be able to still work with him. Okay, so this is an interesting question. So if you could wake up tomorrow, having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? Hmm. Oh, that is a good question. Jim, what would your answer to that question be? Oh, you know, I was sitting there thinking, I would like to have the uh, ability to uh, giving someone a second chance. Like have like a situation where someone made a bad decision where I could go back and go, okay, um, now's your moment. You can make that decision again or you can go the other way. Kind of like the genie, so to speak. My other one, if I could have another ability or quality... Maybe, yeah, maybe I want to be a healer. Maybe I, I really, yeah, you know, well, I, I think you are on some level. I think you've always been, but you know, when I say healer, like I really think people have to save themselves, but I think you, sometimes you need someone to help you get on that road to save yourself. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, because I don't think I see myself like a Spider Man or Superman. I see myself as like, I help you, but then you got to go and do the next steps. You got to go through the next doors. I can root for you, but I can't hold your hand. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I think it's, you know, because of the experiences that you've gone through, you're able to hold that space for people ready to go on that journey themselves. That's such a great purpose to have when you go deep into your own pain and your own self and you you heal your own being from that pain. It, it then makes you a magnet for other people. They'll just go, oh, you know, I like being around this person. And then you have that toolbox to really help show them the way how to heal themselves of their own pain. So I think that that's a great ability to have. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained any one quality or ability, what would it be? Well, I think it would be really my deep thing would be just to be able to sit and write all day. That would be an ability that I just wish I had that I don't have. Because life doesn't allow you to do that. And for some writers, obviously, but, you know, I have to earn money. I have to pay rent. I have to do stuff. And so um, I always battle with that balance of can you do what you love and get paid for it? But I have a great job that I love and I'm very lucky that I get to travel and and work with amazing people. But I guess uh, instead of writing for like an hour a day, it would be a great ability to be able to do that for like a longer time. To me, like writing is like a, it's like a meditation or it's like a, it's like you're getting those things out of you and you're putting them on a page and then... And then you're able to look at it and then you're able to reflect and go. And just like you're saying, it's you're able to look down at your paper and go, am I really being real with myself? Am I really being honest here? Would I move these sentences around or 
do I really believe that? And you're like, maybe I do. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Because, you know, we, we hold all these things inside us. It could be stories. It could be feelings. And I had one uh, teacher that he said that if you hold in all those things, that's he believed that that's where diseases come from. I don't know. I, I believe that. Yeah. And that's why I feel like as beings with emotions and energy in motion, it is our job to clear out any blocked energy from the past and each day keep clearing ourselves, you know, so that then we can be open to synchronicity and life as it presents itself. What are some things in your life you're really proud of that you wake up every day and you're like, I'm really proud of? I'm definitely proud of my sobriety, being sober for 11 years from alcohol and mind altering stuff. I'm really proud of that. That's such a good accomplishment. It's something that I've managed to do for a long period of time, one day at a time. And and that has probably been the most life-changing thing I've ever done. And that and your book, that's the like... Book, that's, that was a big thing to actually get that out into the world. So, you know, there was definitely that. And then being able to be with my mum in the last months of her life and then being there when she passed, which was a, a whole new experience. That's something as a society we don't talk about, which is, you know, dying and death and being with someone when they pass over and helping them to have a good death because I believe you can die well and it is something that you don't have to be scared of. If you really do care about that person, you're going to be with them at the hardest time in their life. Is there anything else you want to say or is there anything you want to plug? <laughs> well, this is my first podcast. Oh, I, it is? So, Woo. well, it, it, I, I, did, I remember doing, when the book came out, I did this radio show. I'm definitely someone that runs from doing stuff like this. So, but, oh. you know, obviously I've known you for a long time and I, I would do anything for you. And, and I, so I've, I've loved talking with you and I've loved the questions that you've asked and the things that we spoke about. It just reminds me how life can be full of depth. There's so much life has to offer. You know, I know me and you both spoke about depression and things like that, and I feel like it's really worth. My biggest thing is when I put pen to paper and start to really get to the root of stuff and get the truth of everything, what's really going on, start to root all the crap out, then life becomes so interesting. And it's like if you get to live life long enough, it will teach you how to live. So I've really enjoyed this chat. It's been wonderfully deep and nourishing. I'm happy that me and you have connected. I just want to say, Sadie, thank you for being on my podcast. It means so much to me. I have so much love for you. You've taught me so much. We've been through so many things. And I just hope that we keep on talking and check in with each other more. And that um, when I hear Sadie Turner, my little heart, it lights up. And I just think about all the things you've taught me and just your smile. And you're just, when I see you, I see this light, this shiny yellow, white light. That's, you know, and warmness and safety. So lovely, Farley, and I feel the same about you. We've got so many funny memories and, and the, you know, yeah. the experiences we've had when we've both like, kind of gone through these dark, suffering times. There's definitely one thing that when me and you get together, I know that your soul and my soul are from the same soul group. You know what I mean? 
We're in the same family. Yeah. And I can't wait to listen to your podcast. And thank you for asking me to be a guest on yours. It means the world to me. So thank you. Thank you so much.